Welcome to today's podcast, where we're going to have two people that have both worked in professional sports talk to us a little bit about what that is like. So if you have ever thought to yourself, I want to be at the highest level of the sports in the sports medicine world, today's podcast is for you. Welcome to Therapist in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner. Welcome back to Therapist in Motion Podcast. This is Dan hosting today. I am joined once again by Becca Hibbert. Hello. Brett Fisher. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And Dr. Gary Wozlewski. No, he stole mine. I'm happy to be here too. Oh, yes. He stole it already. (laughs) Sweet. So we're super thrilled today, uh, as Becca alluded to in an introduction, to have two experts in the realm of sports medicine who have had a longstanding career in the professional sports arena, specifically Dr. Wozlewski who currently is the head team physician with the Arizona Diamondbacks and Arizona Cardinals. And at one point in his career was the head team physician for all four major sports in the Valley, which is pretty phenomenal. So feel very blessed to have you joining us today to share your expertise and your wisdom, uh, not only with the three of us, but also with our listeners across Listen Land out there. So again, thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Looking forward to it. All right, gentlemen. So first question, and I guess gentlemen and Becca, I should include Becca in this question because <laughs> it, is, it is fair. Uh, to include Becca on this question is, so, you know, like, like Becca said, professional sports has all of this glitz and glam. And it, it seems like for a lot of physicians, rehab professionals, ATCs that, you know, getting to the professional level is like this dream job. But we all know that there's a reality There's lots of cool things that come with that, but there's also a reality. So can you guys just take a little bit of time to talk about with our listeners what it means to work in both, you know, the collegiate level at a high level and the professional level? So I will just say from my perspective, um, I have not worked D1 or professional, so I can't speak to that, but I can speak to just... Working in a college setting when you're an athletic trainer um, and friends that I've had that have worked at the D1 setting are professional. As you said, there's a lot of great things that come with that, but there's also an understanding that your time in, in a way is not your own. Your time is the team's time. And so you have to be able and willing to sacrifice a lot of that time, understanding that you don't really have a great opportunity to set boundaries around that. Um, coaches make your schedules and athletes get injured and you need to be there for them. And you have to do that. And you don't really get a choice in that. And I don't mean that to sound negative. You just have to be prepared to know it is a grind throughout. And like I said, your time in a lot of ways is just not your own when you're working with those types of teams. You know, it's uh, you said a word there, which I think is the biggest word for me. And that was sacrifice. And I guess the biggest um, aspect that when I talk to people about this in my life is the sacrifice of my time, of my energy, my family. Um, We've missed Dr. Wozlewski and I have missed birthdays and other special events along the way that we'll never get back again. And I'm not saying that to feel sorry for me or, you know, what was me. I chose to do this and I love what I do. 
But I guess what people don't think and realize is um, you don't have time off. And, you know, during the NFL season, we may get two days off from July all the way to possibly February. And I'm not complaining about that. I chose that. Um, but it's just, it's a sacrifice and it's a different sacrifice. And it's a grind. I just spoke to our team, sports psychologist, uh, who is you know, right next to me as I was working on some players. And, you know, I said, I'm very fortunate to have some, some friends in my life who do understand that where I always won't be there for them all the time because I'm busy, but they're always there for me. And I really, really appreciate those things. But, you know, socially, I turn down more things than I say yes to just because I don't have the time or the energy always to do those things if I'm going to truly sacrifice for my job. And I think the other thing, too, is like like you said, Becca, um, you're at the whim of the team. So it's not just the team, but you have to deal with the administration um, and different things like that along the way that they have their injuries and sicknesses and things like that you're dealing with or the communication with them as far as trades and free agents. And so the phone's always on, it's 24 um, seven. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a here now, it's a quick thing. You can't wait four days to get back to somebody. It's getting back within the next hour and because things are moving fast. So it's a different lifestyle. It's not for everybody. And, and I always say to people, you know, take an internship, uh, go to a summer camp, see if that's for you. Not every situation in professional sports is for everyone. There's different settings for athletic trainers and physical therapists and find the one that you're kind of wired to go for. Um, I'm an East Coast guy. I'm up early anyways. I'm wired. I go a thousand miles a minute. So for me, it fits my personality. So it's been a great, it's a great question. So it's, 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 it's fun to kind of talk about these things because many times people just don't understand that aspect. Yeah. From my point of view, different than Becca and Brett is that you are fully engaged all the time. This is a part of my practice, but not all of my practice on there. Uh, but one thing I would uh, reiterate and you were getting to it is is the immediacy of the work and it's only gotten more so over time with cell phones and whatnot so uh, as an example if I see a player in the office as soon as that player walks out I have to call the trainer and have the trainer informed of what's going on who then will call the general manager otherwise general manager will hear it on the radio through the player's agent and it's just you you talk about family and sacrifice you have to have family who's willing to hear all the time, sorry, I've got to take this call or sorry, I've got to respond to that. There's nothing in sports medicine, like you said, that you can jot down in your calendar and I'll get to that later. So you guys shared some great insights and some things that definitely uh, shed a light on some of the, the challenges, right? But that's real. And I think that oftentimes people don't want to talk about those challenges because they only want to look at the bright and the positives. So I'm going to ask a similar type question, but what's been your greatest joy and why have you continued to pursue and be involved as actively you, as you guys are in the realm of professional sports medicine? I, I think for me wholeheartedly, the best thing of my job is the relationships I build with people. Um, we're going to Las Vegas uh, tomorrow to play the Raiders. And uh, one of the uh, players we have for the Cardinals played for the Raiders and they're having him on the field. And he says, man, I can't wait to give you a hug. So uh, those are the things to me that I look back upon and it's the people I've become friends with and developed relationships with who I've worked with, like with Waz. 
those mean the most to me. Um, yeah, it's fun bringing people back and see them on the field. Don't get me wrong, that's a great thing. But to me, it's over the years developing relationships and making friends through this business that are lasting forever because it's kind of a different feeling. You, you walk into a stadium and there's maybe 85,000 people screaming against you and you're there with 53 players and a staff of medical people and equipment managers and it's just you guys going against them and there's a camaraderie and a bond that, that's built that's hard to describe and then when you see players 10, 15 years later, they know, you know, how much um, you, you cared for them and how many things you went through together and the highs and the lows and the travels and the late nights and the hotels and the restaurants you went to and all the things you talked about. And it's kind of neat to have those deep kind of intertwined relationships. Whereas, you know, in, in a clinic, you always don't have those deep, deep relationships. Here, we can develop those within there. And that's kind of, to me, the biggest part of my job that I really love the most. Yeah, I would say uh, some of the joys is you see some of the most unbelievable athletic accomplishments on a day-by-day basis that's just sometimes just spectacular. Um, I think also most of us played sports growing up. It's sports medicine, it's like a team. If I'm a surgeon, I may see a patient just once in the office or maybe two or three times. And you're seeing people over and over again, working together, developing the relationships that Brett talks about that you don't necessarily get from a regular surgical practice on there. It's uh, it's definitely rewarding in that fashion. So let's let's change gears a little bit, but still, and, and Dr. Wazuzi, that's almost a perfect lead-in to where I'm heading with my next next question. Of course. He's such a it, professional. It, it, yeah, I mean, it's like we've talked about this in show prep or something like that, you know? <laughs> I mean, geez. Uh, it's like, kind of like we know what we're doing here. So in your guys' experience, you've worked with a lot of different individuals, right? You've worked with strength coaches and physicians with your own, within your own practice and physicians within different practices and physical therapists within your organization, physical therapists within other organizations. Can you guys just like, without throwing anybody under the bus, we don't need to do that because that's, that's not what we're about, but just shed some light on some of the things that have helped make your practice better because of being involved and working with so many different people throughout your tenure. Yeah, so especially from the physician point of view, you you have to have an open mind. And there is a lot of different techniques, practices, therapies out there. Um, surgery is not the only one. You can't poo-poo things. Luckily, I learned early the importance of chiropractors and massage therapists and other things out there. So um, creating as big of a network of these specialists as you can in your practice, and you'd be surprised how much you learn from them as much as they help take care of your patients as far as how I diagnose things in the office or how I treat things maybe a little differently surgery wise. So building the biggest, broadest network of referring specialists that you can is crucial to any sports medicine practice. And what Dr. Wozlewski is talking about um, isn't always the case. He's humble enough to allow those people to educate him to say, hey, this is this and that's that. And that's why so many players love him because he's not he's open to those things and makes suggestions like those things. And he immediately gets the the trust of the of the athlete working with him for the past 14 years closely like this. So that takes a humility on his part to kind of open himself up and say, hey, what is this? What's that? You know, and I've been very fortunate in my career to work on the PGA tour and senior PGA tour and European tour where I traveled the world. 
at doing physical therapy. And there you see not only American physical therapy, you see you know, different cultures and how they approach things. And you go, oh my gosh, I don't know it all. And you continue to learn. And that's one thing I always tell people, just don't stop learning because the minute you stop learning, you're in trouble. And especially now with, with computers and cell phones, the amount of information that's coming at us compared to say 10 years ago is completely different. And we have to be on top of those things. And what's the latest and greatest? Not everything that's new is, is good, but we do need to know about it and, and have enough scientific background and information and judgment to make those calls. So um, that's how I see it right now. I just want to say thank you to both of you for saying that because we talk about that. We've talked about it on this podcast. We talk about it within our own sports medicine program. You don't have to do everything that everybody else does. You may not even agree with everything else that somebody else does, but to close your mind off to it or to tell an athlete, you know, that's a no, you're not going to do that. I mean, that's how you sever relationships. That's how you kind of get a reputation of not being open to working with other people. And ultimately in sports medicine, you have to be willing to see what other people are doing and work with those individuals and understand why the athlete thinks it's effective because not everything that an athlete has done may be, you know, scientifically the most proven thing, but man, mentally that might be getting them where they need to go. And so we have to remain open to all those things and especially high level athletes. I can't even imagine the amount of people they see, uh, the different kinds of specialists right. they see. Um, so staying open to that. I really appreciate both of you saying that. And then, like you said, just learning too, because there is so much to be learned from how other people have been taught things or what culturally makes sense for them. I mean, it's just, you really have to keep an open mind. I think when you're working with athletes and if, if you're open, <clears throat> you can keep a little better control over who these people, these athletes are going to, because there's a guru on every corner trying to sell athletes, the latest and greatest, and some of it might be bad for them. So you really got to talk with them about what they're doing make them feel comfortable expressing what they're doing or what they're thinking about doing. So if you don't think it's such a good idea, you have good reason and good rapport for saying maybe we should not do that particular thing. And I, I've seen, you know, Dr. Wozlewski has taught me this firsthand. Certain players may get a second opinion and tell Dr. Wozlewski what they heard from their doctor and he's not against it. But if he has a different opinion, he'll just go ahead and educate what he's saying, what he thinks. And it's, it's really a teaching moment. It's just no different than going to classroom and he's sitting down and describing, okay, this is that's that and that. And this is what I'm saying. This is this. And it really makes sense to the athlete and they can make their choice. And I think when the, you empower the athlete to make the choices and they understand where you're coming from, they buy in much easier that way. And that's why he, he gets a great buy-in from athletes because he is open and he educates. He's not just saying we're going to do this. He wants to hear them out. And um, I know in the past it's, it's really worked well for a lot of athletes. It's like, man, Waz was right. And I'm glad I listened to him. I'm glad he explained the way he explained it to me. It made sense. And that's, that's a unique quality to have when it comes to professional athletes. So they're hearing so many different things from so many different people. And I think it's back to earning their trust. Yeah. And I think that, you know, another component of that and, and some things that I, I'm thinking about as I hear the three of you answer that question is it's also about learning how those other people communicate and how the athlete communicates, because 
if you understand how the athlete communicates, you have a better probability of being able to reach them. And that's something that I've learned from all of you guys and seeing patients from Mu Dr. Waz and, and sharing patients with you and learning from you, Brad, and learning from Becca's wisdom. Um, although she sometimes doesn't like to tell me that she has any clinical knowledge. We know that it's still there, Becca. Uh, but, you know, just that understanding of, hey, I know where that person's coming from and and the way that they're trying to convey their thought and whether you are trying to convey something differently, that there's that learned component of knowing how your colleague is going to communicate and how that athlete is going to re- receive that communication is a vital skill. Yeah, and Dr. Wazlewski is really good with that because there's times where I know the athlete will not be able to articulate <laughs> well to him what's going on. So a lot of times I'll sit in on the evaluation with him and he'll look at me and go, Fish, what do you got? What do you think? And I'm able to kind of maybe give the medical subjective and objective information to him in a way that makes sense to him because the athlete was did a really poor job of really trying to describe to him what happens. And I can see his eyes going, okay, I got you. And then all of a sudden he brings it back to the athlete because the athlete himself wasn't a good communicator. He recognizes that. But see, that's a good thing with Dr. Wazlewski. He's emotionally uh, intelligent when he gets those things and he's able to read these athletes and then gets information all about before he makes his presentation to the athlete as well as his drawings, his classic drawings on the napkins <laughs> and the papers. I should frame all those over all the years. They're, they're classic. Uh, so it, it may, it may say if you look on the website, head team physician for my title, but the, the most important person on the sports medicine team is a head athletic trainer. And it is rare that I will see a patient without talking to the head athletic trainer or the therapist who's working with them like fish uh, and find out what they've tried, what, where the patient's or player's mind is at, whether they're frustrated or whether they're open. Um, but you need to incorporate that. And that, that comes from all these different sources that we're talking about. So it's not doctor in isolation in an exam room making it. It's you've got to collect the information from the patient. And oftentimes, like Brett says, they don't do a great job of articulating. So uh, over the years of you doing this, and Brett, you, you, I want you to chime in and Becca, you too, from your guys' perspective is when's the most ideal time to get that communication before you see that athlete, after you see that athlete, you need to step away in the middle of an exam and get some more information or, you know, reach out to the agent, Brett, or, you know, the, the team physical therapist from somebody, you know, cause you've got somebody that's flying in to see you from wherever, like how, how have you successfully navigated that and talk about some goods and some not so goods of that communication and that learning style? Yeah. So you, you need to talk to the trainers or therapists before, if possible on there, if not, then you need to immediately follow up after you see the, the patient or the player. And then you may, and then have to go back to the player and say, Hey, uh, you know, we thought this, but I talked to fish. He's already tried, you know, a couple things on there. Let's go a different direction than what we talked about in the office. So if it can be done beforehand, ideal, but if it's not, it's immediately after again, the immediacy of sports medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And yes, that's right. It's communication before or afterwards, but there's situations before where I had a, a top player in baseball come to me and he didn't talk. He didn't talk. And then I finally called the agent Three days later, he's, oh, yeah, his dad's military, mom's military. He won't talk unless spoken to. I said, you should have told me that. (laughs) So um, the more communication you can get, the more information you can get about the person. I I personally try to read about them 
If I can get, Google them, find out where they're from, find out, make phone calls. The trainers, like, like Dr. Wazlewski said, whoever knows him, I want to know what they're like. I need to be able to talk to them and get them communicate and, and be able to have them trust me. So as much information as I can get about them medically as well as personality-wise, I take it because I want to know I have to get to this athlete. I have to get them to motivate them. What motivates them? And that's really how I try and do it through many sources. Uh, from an athletic trainer's perspective, obviously I agree with both of you guys in that it needs to definitely occur. It definitely needs to occur ahead of time. Usually like the athletic trainer to the physician will say, this is if they're not there, you know, this is what I've been seeing. They're coming into the office and then you'll usually get like a phone call or a text message or something after from the physician. So it's important to remember too, that the communication is usually a couple times within seeing that athlete. Like you might first hear what the athletic trainer or physical therapist sees, then you see them, then you call them back and say, this is what I'm thinking. And everybody kind of comes together with a plan. So as we've talked about, I mean, that's why sports medicine is the immediacy. It's that constant communication because everybody wants to be on the same page. And the only way to do that is to communicate what everybody has seen and then how they're all going to move forward. There are some people that are fearful, too, of the medical system or certain portions of it. So not as a blanket statement, but we have a lot of Dominican ball players that are a little bit reticent to talk about stuff or bring stuff up to the physician, but they will to the trainer. They have trust in the trainer because they see him every single day or the therapist. So that that's why it's critical as a doctor to talk to all these different practitioners because you may not get the, the full story. That's a great point. Or the fear. I mean, a lot of a lot of them are fearful of surgery or other things on there, too. And, and well, and, or to, the fear of getting you know, shut down. Reluctant. Right? You know, of saying, well, I don't want to go see Dr. Wazowski because I'm seeing the, the ATC or the PT, and they're, they're, they're keeping me in the ballgame. But if I'm going to go see Doc, is Doc going to keep me in the ballgame? Or is he going to say, you know what? We need to do X, Y, and Z. We need to shut you down for 10 days. Um, and so I could totally see that. I even see that at the high school level when I see kids and they're like, well, I don't want to go talk to the athletic trainer because I'm afraid that they're going to shut me down and they're going to make, you know, they're going to make me go see the, 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 the team doc. And then the team doc's going to say, oh, well, no, you, you know, like we got, we're going to shut you down. So uh, that, that's kind of where I want to take my next question actually is how are you managing and how like that? I think that's probably one of the things that people really have no clue on and I'm going to raise my hand and say, I probably have no clue on is that management from a communication side of when do you guys make that decision that that player needs to like sit out and how does, how does that process really occur? Quote unquote, behind the scenes. Uh, complicated, complicated <laughs> <clears throat> because there's general managers and uh, limited player spots, uh, other things that come into play performance, uh, in addition to health. So, uh, not a good answer. Uh, <laughs> lot, lot to come into play. Yeah. Sometimes that decision's taken out of our hands. Um, okay. sometimes the players for their own benefit need to be told that they have to sit down. Concussions are the, obviously the biggest, most obvious, um, problem where they're thinking they're better than they are or willing to take some chances when they shouldn't. That's a great answer. Cause it's so, it's so widely variable what goes on. And then just, you know, like a concussion, they really don't realize that they're having a problem. So we got to hide their helmet. But if they are cognitive and they're doing through something and said, you know what, you're putting things out there on tape or on TV that people are seeing and you're not showcasing who you really are. You're a great athlete. You're a great player and you're 85% out there. Does that make sense to you? That's going to hurt your next contract. I go that route and say, Hey, you need to get better. This is not who you are. And you're, you're not even, you're hurting yourself, you're hurting our team. 
So that's why I, I try to use those. At least, at least start the conversation like you need to get help here. Yeah, most, most athletes are planted at 85%. That's the issue is yeah. find a healthy athlete out yeah. there. It's, it's hard. To <laughs> yeah, do. That's true. That's so, true. and somebody's 85% may be twice as good as somebody's hundred percent, right. you know, who would be their replacement. Right. So, okay. Just for giggles, I'm guessing that these conversations are all the time with all different parties, right? Like you mentioned, general manager, coaching staff involved in that. Or not? Or, you, or, or, or is that organizational dependent? Yeah, well, I should probably clarify. So it's not the general manager is not interfering with the medical process, but they may have some thoughts on where this player fits in or not. So no, no one's coming down to the medical room, general manager or coach, and saying, "I think we should do X, Y, or Z." That's that's probably disappeared twenty years ago. Uh, but it's it's part of the process of you know explaining to the player what we think is best. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, because I'm thinking back to like when I was an athletic trainer in college and it was, you know, we didn't have a general manager. (laughs) It was the coach and the coaching staff saying, what's the status on this guy? Is he able to play? Is he able to practice? What's his intensity level? Are we limited on minutes? And that was, I just remember that. That's perfectly fine. That's in fact ideal. That's ideal. Yep. As opposed to coming and saying, hey, we need this guy out here. You know, what can you do to get him back on the field? That doesn't happen anymore. Which that's a good thing, At least thing, not right? at our level, that's, not, that's yeah. a great thing, yeah. Because now we're at, now we're actually focused on utilizing evidence and and all of those things that the athletes interest, the, you know, and then all of the other things, those are complicating factors of managing roster slots and all that thing that I'm assuming from a medical standpoint, we don't want to have a role in. <laughs> that's why you're on the medical side. Uh, who wants to be the bad guy and cut a player? Exactly, I, I mean, right? No. <laughs> But, you know, I think that those are things that, I mean, that's why I asked the question out of curiosity because, you know, like injury reports right now is so common. And for a lot of people, the general public, they're using it for to manage their fantasy football roster, right? But to know the layers and the complexity that really go on behind the scenes, it's fascinating to me as a sports fan. It's fascinating to me as a medical professional because... Those, those things aren't known and how you go about, you know, hey, I'm trying to look out for your next contract. I mean, one of my friends in the big leagues, that's the thing that part of his role was in his organization was helping that next player realize that you're playing for your next contract. And that's where you're going to provide for generational wealth and provide for your families moving forward. So I think that's a huge thing from a psychological standpoint. You look like you've got something else you're ready to say. You're looking, you're peering over that little pop filter at me right now. <laughs> no, it's just always a, it's always a fine line. You try and get as much information scientifically as you can. We have the GPS systems now, what they do at, during the games, so it's normal form what they did in practice, try and put the science there. But there's always the other part is the psychological part. How do they feel about it? How do they, what do they think? What does the doctor think? What does everyone think? It's like, it's not one set answer. It's everyone, every situation is unique. And then how we manage that player during the game. Is there, is that called so-called pitch count in football where we just so many plays per, per game or per half? We don't know. So we try and go out there with at least a game plan in mind and, and you know, educate the player that we think in this, we'll be able to handle this, this, and this because of what you've been doing in practice. At least give them a, a, a frame of reference. Um, yeah, but- the game, game plan is 
not just this week or this game, but this year, next year, yeah. entire career. Yeah. You got to keep all of that in account when you're talking to a player about that specific injury or problem. And the thing about this is that those things come up to you on a day-to-day basis. And that, that's why I tell people, I need to go to bed at 8.30 every night because I'm going to be put on the spot sometimes. And you don't, all of a sudden you're on the spot and you better be ready to go. You can't be sitting there. I had a long night. I was da 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 can't do that. You got to be ready to make those big, important decisions. That's someone's career at the line, you know, and you got to be ready to make those decisions when they come to you. I think the, that the thing that's hard to see right now is that where the professional sports are doing a much better job controlling that and understanding how important the medical team is. What we're unfortunately seeing in the youth and high school, I know that's not what we're talking about today, but what we're now seeing is there isn't that same uh, respect for a medical opinion or understanding that, you know, professionals get rest, our youth athletes need rest. And so we're almost seeing this shift where our pro athletes are getting the GPS and are getting a better understanding of their bodies. And everybody's really understanding how important rest and recovery is. And our younger athletes, all of a sudden we've forgotten that because we're like, oh, kids are resilient. And that's our answer to everything. They are, but they're also being driven, I think, too hard. Yeah. And it's always the next tournament that's coming up. Are they going to be ready for that? And so I have the benefit of my dad playing professional baseball for a long time. And I've got pictures up in the office and you've got a 14 year old kid who is playing year round baseball and hurt and they have a showcase in two weeks and they're 14. And I try to explain to him that showcase, the Yankees aren't going to sign a 14 year old out of the showcase on here. And I point to my dad in between the University of Connecticut minor leagues where they had to work their way up the system for seven years and then another seven years in big leagues. That's post high school, 15, 16 years professional ball. And you don't want to ruin a kid at 13, 14 and, and take that all away from at, a, at that age. Yeah. So it's it's partly not having the data, partly being driven by club coaches and parents who are just too. I, I don't, what's the what's the right word, Brent? Not too involved, but just too overbearing, and, and they yeah. live their lives through the kids. But I'm hoping that the science that is coming out more yeah. and more will trickle down because. Right now, the GPS systems are a little expensive, but I'm hoping with tracking systems on the watches, we'll get to the point where it's like, hey, wait a minute, the pros are doing this. Now colleges are doing it now. Get down to the high school and the youth level saying, wait a minute, this is what we're doing to develop these athletes. Why are we not doing it for our young kids? Because it's epidemic. Yeah, I think was what you said about how you're managing it at the professional level. It's not just today, this week, this season, this year, the next couple of years, it's your entire career. It's the great same approach to take with the youth. Now we just have to get them to hear it. That's, that's the, you know, right? because it's their we'll entire get, career. We'll get to it, but that's part of the purpose of the huddle is to educate people at that lower level of the stuff that you can't do one at a time in the office to try to get a bigger, broader message out on there of what we need to do. I know in our countless Saturday nights on the road with Waz over the years, that's been probably our biggest passion is really getting information out for the youth. I know this is not about the youth today, but it just came up and what Sorry. we can do to stop the epidemic of this because it's been a passion for both of us because it's it's yeah. years ago. We never saw Tommy John's at age 14, 15, 16. It didn't right. happen. Absolutely. Now it's sad. Yeah. So sad. Well, and like you said, hopefully it trickles down. I think we definitely saw that with concussions, mm. you know, that once we started to get more data, we started, you know, we're definitely protecting them better at that high school level because the NFL and the college and all that kind of stuff. So like you said, hopefully the science just in general continues to push. And as they see it with the pros, it gets pushed down into those younger athletes. 
All right. For the final question, I'm going to ask both of you. Becca, I guess you can answer this one too. If 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 you aren't wowed by Dr. Waz and Brett's answers, okay. Is uh, really what makes a good sports medicine team? Yeah. So the the most important part of any sports medicine team are the three, four, five, six athletic trainers and therapists that make up the core that take care of these teams every single day. And then it's their responsibility to go out and obtain the best consultants um, to avoid contractual ties with medical groups. You've got to cross some lines sometimes to get the best in every different field. Your hand surgeon might be from one medical group. Your foot surgeon might be from totally different. So trying to avoid being bound by medical contracts that force you to use somebody that may be you know, not the best quality that's available to you. You know, I totally agree with Dr. Wozlewski and that, that core group of athletic trainers, physical therapists, um, have to be a group that has earned the trust of the players. And how do you do that? You, you care for them. You ask questions and then you come every day and you care for them. They get it and you provide the best care possible and you try and, like Dr. Wozlewski said, reach out and try and find answers. Okay, this, this, and this. Well, the late, what's the latest thing on this? And try and really reach out to these people and get information as the players earn trust. But also, that core group then also has to work well with the, the strength conditioning staff, the nutritionists, the sports psychologists, the GMs. All those different things play a huge role in making this important. But it all stems from, I think, two things. One is the humility of that group to be able to communicate with each other. And those communications have to happen daily. There has to be daily communication. In fact, hourly, every hour, on the minute, constant communication because there's things going so fast with players. They're doing activities. They're doing practices. We have GPS going. What do we see? Can we change things on the fly? But it's the communication that occurs in that training room that allows the doctor to walk in and they can give him all the information he needs. And then we have an expert like Dr. Wazlewski. We lay the information in front of him. What do you think? And I've done that millions of times with him. Just lay it out in front of them and we get a good game plan. So it's all about the communication within the organization and having the humility to know that we're all wired differently. Within your athletic training staff, People have certain gifts and strengths and know what they are. Some are really good communicators. Some are really good at foot and ankle. Some are really good at manual therapy. Some are really good at exercise. Utilize that and have a team where you know who's good at what and it gels. And when it does gel, it's a really neat thing to see. Yeah, that's true. You see it. There are certain people that will get taped only by a certain trainer and there are certain people that will only talk to a specific trainer or therapist. The only thing I would add to that, and I mean, they've really said it, is valuing what each person on the sports medicine team does. If you understand the role, but also appreciate that role and value what they do, you're not going to have all these competition issues or issues collaborating because everybody understands the role. Everybody understands the strengths and weaknesses. And that's really how the um, athlete is taken care of to the best of all of our abilities. All right. Well, I think we've had a great discussion today. Uh, I hope our listeners are excited about what we've just covered as I am because it was fantastic. I learned a lot. I thank you guys for your expertise, for your openness, for your willingness to join us here on the pod. Uh, Becca, thanks for co-hosting with me today. I thanks very much appreciate me. it. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for your time. Um, as always, if you guys have any questions, comments, or uh, additional topics that you want to hear us discuss, please do not hesitate to reach out at therapistinmotion at spoonerpt.com. Thank you.
Thank you for listening. Please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app.